0: Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's give Michael in the band a hand for a great job. Michael's mother is with us today. Raise your hand. Suzanne, correct? Suzanne, now be sure and, and uh, be Christian to her, friendly when you see her. Okay, how many of you want to succeed? You want to do the same grade over again next year? Raise your hands. You're not asleep yet. Okay. How, what, what's it going to take to succeed? More money? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? More time? The magic pill that reverses aging, wouldn't that be good? That would do it. How about a nicer wife? Would that help? Oh. You're the most spineless man I've ever been around in my life. How about a nicer husband? See, the the, the women lead around here. There's no question about that. Well, you know, as, as many things as we could put in the mix to make success more possible, we're going to look at something from 2 Timothy 3 today. That Paul, God writing through Paul, spoke to his protege, his young disciple, Timothy, to tell him, hey, Timothy, if you really want to hit the ball out of the park in life, as a husband, as a, uh, as a parent, as a preacher in your job and in your life, this is going to be the key. The, you need this, and what he needed, we need. Let me tell you what we need to really succeed, and that's this. We need a perfect standard. We need something to go by that tells us how to go by, okay? We need something in our life and in our world that's going to tell us this is right, this is wrong. This is going to lead to a train wreck. This is going to lead to happiness and joy. And in 2 Timothy 3, starting verse 10 through 14, he begins, and he says, you, however, know about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? The persecution I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from men all of the time. In verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That'd be a good sermon someday right there. Verse 13, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But in verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. One thing he tells Timothy right off the bat, Timothy, you you need to stay clued into people who are giving you good advice. Now, you read the whole book. In Timothy's life, he had a wonderful mom, he had a great grandmother, and and then he also had, in Paul, a great uh, mentor. And one thing he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, listen to the right advice and follow the right example. Some of us this morning, we're listening to bad advice. We listen to critics, we listen to, to snipers, we listen to unhappy people, we listen to people who don't love God or have our best interests in heart. We, we look at examples from Hollywood or someplace and we're, we follow the wrong examples and those will never lead us to the right place. But As good as a good example is, as good as good as advice is, they always fall short. In other words, there's no perfect person who's going to have all the right answers every time to help you. So he tells Timothy, I've got a perfect standard for you. And that's the Bible. The Bible is perfect. Some of you have given consideration to that thought in your life. Some of you may not have. But if you've got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible after church. There's a Bible probably in your pew. The Bible is the perfect Word of God. In verse 15 and 16, it says, And how from infancy, now, two weeks from now Mother's Day, I'm going to touch on this. But think about this. How from infancy, Timothy, you had been taught the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want us to camp out in verse 16 for a minute. He starts out and he says, all Scripture, all means every bit of something. It means the totality. It means the individual and the totality or the totality incomplete. All Scripture. That Scripture there can mean a single text, or it can mean the whole Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed. Literally, God-breathed literally means, in a literal sense, God exhaled something out. None of you have ever smoked a cigar before, but if you have, you know, you, you, you blow the smoke out. I was out early in the morning, uh, early this week, and it's 41, 42 degrees. And, and I like going out in Louisiana, especially in April when it's 95 during the day, and being able to go out in the morning and, whew, and blow out that and see that, that breath come out. It's literally saying, God, breathed the Scripture. God, God didn't just give it to someone else to write. When it came to your Bible and my Bible, every single bit of it, God himself spoke it out, okay? Now, certainly at this point, when this was written, he was talking about the Old Testament, but he's also, no doubt, talking about the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talking, and it's really neat what he says we're going to say about what we already have of Paul's writings. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Look in verse 16, people distort as they do the other scriptures uh, as their own destruction. Do you see how he's, what he's saying about Paul's words here? He's saying that it's the scriptures it's God breathed in in second Peter chapter one, we get another picture of how God gave us scripture. It says above all, in other words, this is of top importance. If this is wrong, we're in trouble. If this is right, then you better listen and pay attention. You must understand no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophecy came through God. And as they they spoke, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, if you you read the Bible, you can tell, if you really read closely, you can tell different humans were being used. There's different literary styles, uh, especially if you could read the Greek, which I can't read it well enough to tell it, the New Testament— Paul, Peter was a simple guy. And in the gospel of Mark, we believe is from Peter. Obviously, first and second Peter were from Peter. And they're simpler. It's simple, simple grammar, simple words, smaller sentence. Paul, who's probably had the equivalent of two PhDs, when he writes, you can tell he can go pretty deep pretty quick. And God used human people. He used their personalities. He used their intellects. But it says there in 2 Peter that no prophet, nobody came up with what they were writing on their own that's in the Bible. That the Holy Spirit carried people. He guided people. He superintended and directed the process all the way from beginning to end. Paul probably wrote 100, 200 letters in his life. 13 made it in the New Testament. And those were the ones that were perfectly inspired by God. Are you following me on how significant this is? The Bible's perfect word of God. This is what the Bible says about itself. How many of you have ever heard the Bible has errors and contradictions in it? Sure you have, if you've listened much. Do you remember Madeline Murray O'Hare... She was not a lady in our WMU group years ago. Madeline Murray O'Hare was the infamous atheist who is responsible for getting prayer out of schools. And she really, from from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, really, her sole intent was to attack God uh, in our country. And she used to debate Christians on radio and TV, and when she would debate them, her tactic was intimidation. She would holler, she would scream, she would, you know, spit when she talked, she would curse, and she would talk about the Bible's full of errors and contradictions. Well, Chuck Chuck Colson, who was a Watergate lawyer, Richard Nixon, went to prison, became a Christian, uh, and then became a devout uh, speaker and preacher of the faith— was in a debate with her on TV, and he brought his Bible. And Madeline Murray O'Hare was screaming and hollering about the Bible's full of holes, the Bible's full of errors, and he did something that you ought to do sometime. He took the Bible out of his jacket, and he handed it to her and said, Miss O'Hare, show me the contradictions and show me the errors. And you know what? She zipped her big fat yap at that point <laughs> because she couldn't show them. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I, I'm a super scholar, but I've spent a long time studying and reading the Bible. And I can tell you this, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible contradicts you and me. You get that? The, the, the Bible doesn't have errors. The Bible is without error. The Bible is the perfect Word of God. Now, listen, if if that is true, and I want to tell you, friend, it is true. If this is the perfect Word of God, if God breathed this, and I don't believe God's ever breathed a mistake, do you, by the way? That's kind of significant. Then you and I need to get our noses and our hearts in it. Would you agree with that? If God himself showed up, came here, zapped me out of the way, some of you'd like that, and God showed up at the altar, would you wake up and sit up and listen? Would you quit texting? No, some people wouldn't. Hold on, God, wait a second. I think you would. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this is the perfect Word of God. This is God speaking to us, and we need to get our hearts and our nose in Him. In verse 15, listen to what it says. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, taking the Bible, reading it, and doing what it says, you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and go to heaven someday. That's pretty neat, isn't it? You're going to be in smoking or non-smoking for eternity. Correct? Smoking in eternity is not going to be good. And and it says here, this book right here can show you how to find Jesus Christ and find a relationship with him. Look in verse 16 with me. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. Now, if you're taking notes, this is a great word. Useful means it's profitable. It's advantageous. It's helpful. If I was going to sell you something today, and I could guarantee you it was profitable, helpful, and advantageous to your marriage to your happiness, to your business, to your success in your career, to your academics and athletics, and I definitely believe following God makes you better in every area. If I could sell you this, would you buy it? Sure you would. Listen, the Bible promises about itself. Not only is it perfect, it's useful. It's not not just something to look at and admire. Oh, the Bible. Oh, the Bible. No, it's to use it because it's useful, helpful, and advantageous. Listen what he says about it. He says four things here. It's useful for teaching. And that word teaching literally means for doctrine. In other words, the Bible gives us clear-cut ideas on what's right and wrong, what to believe. Now, you you know what's going to sink many of our families today? Parents, you know what's going to cut your kids off at the knees? You know what's going to ruin our churches and ruin our country, country eventually? It's not going to be some outside attack. It's political correctness. And, and that says that nothing's right and, and everything's okay. And the only thing is wrong is for you to say something is wrong. You know what? Two plus two is four. Correct? And if it makes you feel good to say it's five, that's fine, but it's still four. And the Bible says that there are things that are right and wrong and that we are to believe and not to believe. It gives us instruction. There was a conference in Atlanta, Georgia a few weeks ago. And it was Christian groups meeting together to talk about sexuality in the 21st century. And and I did not go. I read some of the reports from of it. Some of it looked good. Some of it looked disgusting. People were saying, well... We have to take what the Bible says about homosexuality, adultery, and fornication. And then we have to understand it with, with culture. And we have to understand it with our society today and how we feel. And the Greek word for that is baloney. Friend, if, if you're going to get your standards based on culture, your standards are going to constantly be changing, aren't they? There has to be some absolutes. The Bible gives us absolutes. Here's a second word. He says it's good for rebuking. Don't you love that word? I had a card in the early service. I think it was a joke they wrote. Tell me more about rebuking. I have a list of people I want to rebuke. Rebuking means to show. It shows you where you're wrong. It shows you where you're wrong. How many of you know what a warning label is? Okay, where I grew up in Tennessee, everybody, even girls, they, they dip skull till they're about 18. And then the girls quit and the boys maybe quit. And there's warning labels on tobacco, correct? If you dip 5,000 cans of skull, at some point your lip falls off, correct? Okay. That's on there for two reasons. So when you sue the tobacco company, they will have something to stand on in court. And secondly, because that's, that's probably accurate, the Bible... Is full of warning labels, isn't it? Let me give you a couple. Hey, men, cheat on your wife. If you survive the gunshot from her, God's gonna get you eventually, right? Women cheat on your husband. It's gonna it's gonna go bad. Hey, take money from work, take money just a little bit, but they're not paying you enough and, and you deserve it. You know what? You're gonna end up in prison some point eventually. You know what? The Bible tells you that. It's a warning label. Remember, Remember what I said earlier, we don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. We reject the Bible because it contradicts us. It warns us, okay? Here's another word it uses, and that's the word of correcting. And certainly these go together. To correct means to help straighten something out, to amend it. Okay, men, I'm going to give you another chance to bow up and be a man today. How many of your wives need to be corrected to some degree? Thank you, Paul. We have one courageous man here. I see, Steve, you're doing it behind her back. I don't know if that counts. And Wayne, Stacy's not here and Wayne is... Okay, women, how many of your husbands need to be corrected? See, I... I I saw you. (laughs) You know what? If you can get your wife or your husband... Are your parents to read the Bible enough? You know what? It'll help straighten them out. The Bible is perfect, and it helps correct us. And the last word it uses is training. This is a great word. It says for training in righteousness. Now, th- this is literally the picture of uh, the Bible being like a personal trainer. I've never had a personal trainer. I think those are for rich people. But I think that's somebody, you know, when you're bench pressing, they're they're, they're telling you, oh, you know, lift harder, breathe, or whatever, Uh And a personal trainer, supposedly, is someone coming along beside you. It's really a picture of a coach and who's watching you perform and who's telling you where you need to change this and change this and do this differently. The Bible does that. When we get our nose in it, when we read it and we study it and we hear it, we hear it, we read it, and we study it, really and truly with an open mind, the Bible trains us, it shows us how that we are to do life. And those are good things, guys. Those are things that will help us and make us different. Martin Luther was a great Bible scholar. In the 1500s, Martin Luther said the Bible has hands and feet. When you hear it and you get your life into it, it will reach out and grab you and shake you and correct you. And that's exactly true. See, the Bible can do all those things for you if you get your nose and your heart in it. How many of you have ever fallen asleep with the Bible on your chest? Doesn't that? I mean, when you when you wake up, don't you feel spiritual? I mean, you've got you've got a tattoo bonded leather right there. I remember in college, I'd hear people say, "I fell asleep last night with the Bible on my chest," and you know, I wanted to go, <laughs> whoop de doo <laughs> you know what? That is not going to help you one single bit. You got to get your nose symbolically, and your heart in it, you've got to be taking it in and living it out. I read a few weeks ago, in America, the average American spends 15 hours a week on the Internet. Now... Some of that may be legitimate at work. You're working. You're doing things. But a lot of that and what that article was talking about was what we do at home. We play at home. I love to get on the Internet. It's a, it's a research library, right? at your hands. I mean, you can do so much. Certainly you can do bad, but you can do so much good. But here's the sad thing. Fifteen hours a week on the Internet, the average Christian, the average professing church-going Christian probably spends about 15 minutes a week in their Bible. 15 hours Googling Elvis (laughs) and 15 minutes reading life-changing principles from the Word of God. Everybody in here knows who Bill Cosby is. Bill Cosby, in an interview, he he talked about his, his faith. And he grew up going to church and being exposed to Christianity. And I guess he knew it was a faith interview because he had counted. He said in the interview, I have eight Bibles in my home. Many of you have eight to ten Bibles in your home. But he was honest enough to say this. He said, I believe it's God's Word, and I believe it can make a difference in a person's life, but I just don't spend much time reading it and living it out. Folks, it's not going to help you just looking pretty on a shelf, okay? You've got to use it. Think of your Bible as a workbook. How do you read your Bible? How do you read your Bible? Do you have a plan of attack in reading your Bible? When I was in graduate school, I remember a girl telling me, I just go at night and I just open it, poof, and wherever it falls, I read. And I thought, you know what? You were really goofy. I didn't tell her that. I said, oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. I was being Christian and pastoral, you know. And. I remember hearing about a guy who did that. He had a major decision to make. And so, I think it may have even been David Caston. I'm not sure, but he went home and he said, God, speak, and he opened his Bible and he put his finger down. And it was Matthew 27, and it says, Judas went out and hanged himself. And David said, oh, my goodness, what is God trying to say? He said, I'll try this again. So he turned to another passage, and he went like this, and that verse said, now go and do likewise. That wasn't David. But, okay, if you're doing that, I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just saying we got to get past kindergarten. That's kindergarten Bible reading. That's okay. You have to be in kindergarten someday. Let me give you two ways to read your Bible that will change your life, okay, if you really do these. Two ways. There's a hundred ways. So I'm not saying these are the only ways, but these are two ways that you, you hear it as much as you can, like you're doing now, and then you read it and you take it in. Here's two methods. One is just simply read your Bible, okay? Here's what I do. I will, uh, I will start in Matthew every year. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read through the New Testament every year. There's 260 chapters. If you've never read your Bible, now's the time to get started. Every Christian should read through the New Testament every year. St- I start in Matthew. I'll read a chapter in Matthew. Then I'll read a chapter in Romans. Now, you have to keep up where you are. But I'll read Matthew, Romans, and then I'll finish Matthew. I'll go to Mark, and I'll go from Romans. I'll go to 1 Corinthians. And and that way, I'm kind of jumping around, and it it just gives a little bit of variety. There's nothing wrong with starting in Matthew and reading through Revelation. That's just the way uh, thats a good way I found to do it. Now, you're ready to start in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has 929 chapters. It's big, okay? To read it in a year, you've got to read three a day, almost every day. Maybe you're not ready for that. Read your New Testament this next year. You get started, you get ready to read the Old Testament, start in Genesis. And then start in Psalms. That's what I do. Because if you just start in Genesis, sometimes about Leviticus, you're getting kind of bogged down with all that begots and and slewing people and stuff like that. And, you know, stay away from, from their wife and their girlfriend and their uncle and their mother and all that. Good stuff, but it can bog you down. But I'll, re- I'll start in Genesis and I'll start in Psalms. And I'm constantly reading there. Read, read two chapters a day and you can read through the Old Testament. Uh, it, every other year you're, you're reading through it. So read your Bible. Here's a second method. I just call it the study method. I start in Genesis 1 and I start in Matthew 1. And I, I just try to read five to six verses. And I read with my pen in my hand. If something sticks out, I underline it. If it really jumps out at me, I'll check it and I'll read it again. Sometimes I will check a verse four times where where in a matter of five minutes I've read over that five or six times. And uh, this morning I, I was reading it in Ezekiel and I think I read five or six verses. And I was reading Matthew and the New Testament. I read five or six verses. It takes a long time to get through the Bible. but But doing those two things, you're getting the overview constantly and then you're getting enough to chew on it constantly. A lot of good Bibles out there. I like the New International Version. There's a lot of good versions. A life Application Study Bible is a very good study Bible. Remember, if you have a study Bible, once the Scriptures in in those study notes, that's not God anymore, okay? That's somebody's good thoughts, and they're probably a good scholar, but that's not God. Bottom line is you, you can sit in church your whole life and not know much about the Bible. You can own a thousand Bibles and not know much about it. You've got to get your nose and your heart in the Bible. Here's what happens, what God says. When we do, we will live successfully. It leads to success. How many of you believe this morning what God says is true? Do you believe that? Okay, most of you do. Here's, here's what it says in verse 16. That God's Scripture is useful. Remember, it's advantageous. It's profitable. In verse 17, it says, "...so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped..." For every good work. Listen to what that thoroughly equipped means. It means when you get the Bible in you and you live it out, you will be up to the challenges you face. You will be pre- prepared and you will be proficient. Isn't that awesome? Get the Bible in your life, live it out and you will be prepared, proficient, and you will be effective. There was a poll done several years ago and they interviewed people who who consistently read their Bible. Here's what they found out. People who really read their Bible were happier, were more at peace, and more content than people who didn't. You get that? Those are three things everybody in here wants. Budweiser can't give it to you. More money can't give it to you. But people who kept their nose in the book and lived it out had more joy, had more happiness, had more peace, had more contentment. I want to tell you today, you get your nose in the book and you live it out. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better parent, a better boss, a better employee. I believe this. You'll be a better student, a better athlete. You will take into your life, in every area of your life, you will be better if you will take God's Word in and you will live it out. It's perfect. How can it lead you wrong? There was a man, a British man, was in Las Vegas, and he went to a, a garage sale. Now, I've never been, I, I've flown into Vegas, but I've never stayed. I just, do you really think about going to Las Vegas and going to a garage sale? Isn't that kind of odd? But maybe not. So he goes to this garage sale, and he buys, he buys three or four paintings, and he pays $5. Listen to this, $5 for these three or four paintings, Well, he gets back to his hotel and he begins to look at them and he realizes, wait a second, this one, something's unique about this. And he takes it to an art expert who identifies it as one of Andy Warhol's early paintings as an 11 or 12 year old boy growing up in Pittsburgh. And what he paid... Probably a dollar fifty four was worth two million dollars. Maybe you should go to a garage sale in Vegas <laughs> two million dollars you know it, it reminded me of the Bible. You got a Bible with you today. many of you were given the Bible. Maybe you paid ten dollars and got a Bible. Maybe you went and you you bought a fifteen pound Leather study Bible, and it cost you $80 or $90. Whatever you paid for your Bible, you got a great deal. It's priceless. If we really believe it's the Word of God and that following it, leading to following Jesus, will lead to success in every area of our lives, it's priceless. It's just up to us what we're going to do with it. Let's pray. Christian, I would just challenge you right now to spend some time thinking about what you need to do with the Word of God. What kind of commitment you need to make in just a moment. If you're not a Christian... Are you unsure if you're a Christian? I want to lead you through a prayer that comes from the Bible. A prayer that comes from putting together scriptures that lead to salvation in Christ. I want you to pray it with me. Right where you're seated. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're the Son of God who who died and who arose for me. And Jesus, today, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you this morning, Jesus, to save me. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment, and while music's going to be sung and played, I want to challenge you to respond to Christ today. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. Listen, there'll be ministers down here. We would love to help you with that decision. Don't delay it. You come in just a moment. Give your life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to join our church. One way you can do it is by coming in a moment when we give the invitation. We'll have ministers down here. We'll help you with that decision. Maybe you just want to come and pray at the altar. We'd love for you to do that. Every person here who is a Christian, many of us today, we need to repent for the dust that's on our Bible. And we need to make a commitment from this day on that we're going to keep our nose in it and let God and His Word change our lives. Christian, will you make that commitment where you're standing or at the altar? Let's stand. And as God leads you today, you step out, you come, you follow.